Isn't that beautiful? I always love that when she plays, I get to hear her improvise in all three services. So I'm looking forward to how she'll do it the next time. I would ask that you take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. And Stephanie is here for the children to go back and get your Bible boxes. She'll help you with that. So 1 John chapter 1. John the Beloved, you know, wrote the fourth gospel, the interpretive gospel, the gospel that was written later than the others. And it's a very, it's a, for many of us, me, me uh, included, it's my favorite of the gospels. And then he wrote these epistles, these letters that are just amazing. And we're going to start at the first verse of 1 John uh, in looking at this. But let me, let me set it up just a little bit so that we can focus in on the words that he, he provides for us. There's always a question that every person has to answer, and that is, how do we know what is true? How do we know what is true? In this present cultural moment that many people call the postmodern world, there are many who say that we cannot know what is true, that it's beyond our possibilities as human beings. And in fact, they would go on to say, what is true for you may not be true for me. And so don't push your truth, your beliefs on me. Now, it's easy for each generation as we come along to think that we have somehow stumbled onto some new human thought, something that no one has ever thought before. But the question of truth and whether you can know truth or whether anyone is capable of understanding what is true and what is not true is an ancient and a very fascinating question. I don't know if you started the series, uh, The Bible Continues, A.D., The Bible Continues. It's the story of the book of Acts. These are the same people who did the gospel story a few years ago. And it's a TV series on Sunday nights. But if you started it on Easter evening... You heard Jesus say to Pilate when Pilate is asking him if he was in fact king, he answers that he was, and then he goes on to say a very interesting statement. He says, in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Now to this, Pilate responds, in a very postmodern 21st century kind of way when he says, what is truth? But of course, we have to admit that Pilate isn't postmodern. <laughs> he lived 1,800 years before modernism even took over. And so that is about 2,000 years before postmodern began in the 1950s. Most probably, Pilate is a follower of Pyro of Ellis. And Pyro asserted long ago, before Pilate was born by a couple hundred years, that every object of human knowledge involves uncertainty and that it is impossible to ever arrive at the knowledge of truth. Now, by the time of Pilate, the Greek philosophers, and that's only one, those are the Greek skeptics. He's one of the founders of that. And those 
uh, Greek philosophies had taken over the Roman Empire, and it had become a cultural coup on the Roman Empire. But there was now a, a cultural battle that was occurring at the time of Pilate. And it was a battle between the skeptics, who said there's no possibility, the postmodern uh, thinkers of today, and the Stoics. The Stoics believed that there was a God and that there was truth and that you could know that God and you could have relationship with them. And the Epicureans. The Epicureans said, no, all of life is for pleasure. Now, the more sophisticated Epicureans would have a sophisticated philosophy of what pleasure is, but it was pretty much uh, pleasure-centered. You're here to get as much gusto and grab for it as you can. And so that cultural war, as you can see, is not unlike the cultural war that is now waging in our nation and in the, the Western world particularly, but throughout the world today. Now, just an interesting sidelight. I thought you would find this interesting. Pyro is said to have gone to India and to have studied Eastern philosophy. And that's interesting because the basis of that, what we have here in America, the Eastern philosophy, we call New Age philosophy or New Age religion in our culture. And if, as he went there as a Greek skeptic, and he studied Buddhism, he would have heard that there is no such thing as reality. That reality is something that every individual creates. And so he undoubtedly brought that back home. And the implication of that, as we got to today and the New Age philosophy, which is based on that Buddhist philosophy, is that, well, if there's no reality, then there's no right or wrong. There's no truth or falsehood. You create that. And so New Age, as you uh, may know, there's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as wrong. Now, in Christian theology, and certainly in Wesleyan Christian theology, we affirm that there is truth. And not only that you can know this truth, but that it comes to us from one primary source and three other resources. The primary source is God's Word. Both the Word who became flesh, as we've been singing about throughout this, this morning, as Jesus, God, became physical, that could be seen and heard and use actual words as the Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. But also the Word of God in, in recorded form as human beings were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down things they could not know but the Holy Spirit gave them to know. And they put it together in what is called the book, the Biblios, the Bible. And so that inspiration of the Holy Spirit is God's revealed truth to us. We can know the truth because we can read the truth as it's revealed to us in Scripture. Now, in addition to this primary source of truth, we, within the Wesleyan tradition, have three resources of reason and experience, what happens to us, as well as the tradition, what has happened to people down through all the centuries. And so we study that as we study the sciences. We study that when we study history. We study that when we explore our own experiential and existential journeys, what we know to be true from our own experience. But it's the primacy of Scripture that keeps us centered on truth that God has specifically revealed to us. So when John wrote this letter, 
He was writing in the midst of cultural wars uh, that were very similar to the culture in which you and I live today. But he's speaking to something that transcends all cultures and all reality. And so as we read these words of John the Beloved, and remember that John the Beloved was there at that moment when Jesus was crucified. He's the only disciple that showed up, and he's the one that Jesus could give his mother to care for. Please, this is your son. And so he takes Mary to Ephesus with him, where he is a pastor until he dies of old age. The only disciple that died of old age. And it's the same John who entered that empty tomb right after Peter on the day of the resurrection. He was there. He saw it. He saw the emptiness and the life that came. And of course, he was there when the risen one revealed himself to him. And so John is now writing a letter. And he's writing this letter to specific Christians, just like you and just like me. And so it's a word to us about who Jesus Christ is. And it comes from this great lifelong ministry of John the Beloved. So let's go to 1 John, the first letter he wrote, chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go through to the second chapter and the second verse. The NIV calls this portion of it the incarnation of the word of life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And then the NIV translators call this next section, Light and Darkness, Sin and Forgiveness. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness, all that is not right within us. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word, his truth is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now keep that open before you, and let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, each one of us, that you sent your Son. And Jesus, we are so thankful you were willing to come 
and you were willing to take our sin upon the cross and that you rose showing that victory over sin and death is ours and that we can live in the life and truth the way that you teach us. Be with each one of us. We're all uniquely on our own journey and yet we all share a common communion. We're all a part of what you're doing in the world and yet we're going to uniquely enter into the eternal life. And so we would ask that you would be with us today and speak to each of us uniquely. We're listening. Help us to respond. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in thinking about truth, it's very interesting on several levels that the statement John actually makes about Jesus and truth is this. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now think about that. We do not live out the truth. Notice what he does not say in this. He does not say we won't believe in cognitively the truth. He does not say we don't understand the truth and how it relates. He does not say we won't accept the truth. What he says is we will not live out the truth. Now the word that John uses there is poeo. It's a monster word. It's a word that describes almost anything that you or I can do with our lives. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it is used 563 times and it takes 92 English words to interpret that one accurately. It can mean to make something, to produce something, construct something, to author something, to prepare something, to acquire something, to make something out of something else to appoint someone, to ordain someone, to lead someone, to cause someone to do something, to spend something, to celebrate something, and on and on and on. In other words, anything that you or I can do or be with our lives is what John is describing as needing to be in the truth. So the way John is describing our relationship with truth is inclusive of everything that we are and everything that you and I do. Either we do or we do not live out the truth. So when John the Beloved, who was sitting close to Jesus, most normally in settings, hears Jesus say to Thomas, I am the way, the truth. And the life. He understood this not as some theological statement that the cognitive mind needs to determine the veracity of it. It wasn't that kind of thing that he's doing. Of course, the cognitive mind comes along with everything that we are and do, but it's so much more than a cognitive structure, a cognitive uh, logical assertion. It is a question not for religious debate or theological or philosophical speculation. It has to do with 
how every day we live. Why do we do that and not that? Why do we make this and not that? Why do we acquire this and not that? Why do we make this out of that and not that? It has to do with everything that we are and everything that we do. And we either live the way, the truth, and the life, or we do not. And if we do not put eo, the truth, then John says, we live in darkness. On Easter Sunday morning, we gather in the dark and experience the light of the rising sun. We physically live the difference between light and darkness, the absence of the sun and the presence of the sun. It's a daily dying and rising experience that reflects the spiritual and eternal reality of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a daily reminder of the spiritual truth of who God is and who we are and what death itself is. So we want to look again at what John describes as this reality. We want to go back to verse 1. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning. Now, in the gospel, John begins in the same kind of way, but he writes from the perspective of God. So in the gospel, he's revealing what God is saying about the beginning. And in the first epistle, he's talking about what man experiences from what God did in the first beginning. And so in his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, that is God's truth. We could not know that truth unless God revealed what happened before creation, before that which reason and science can explore together. He has to give us that knowledge and that truth of what happened to begin all of this. But on the experiential side, on the existential side, on the, the human perspective side, John writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. Testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. Now, as John explained, that is the beginning of all truth. That is the beginning before anything was, God created. And not only did he create in the beginning, but the word came and became one with us, incarnate, in the flesh, in humanity, born as a child, and that beginning, the light of the world, came into the world to bring truth into our senses, into our experience. 
so that we can see and touch and know and experience the presence of God in profound physical and spiritual and eternal ways. And as we touch that way, that truth and that life, we begin to experience a whole new level of humanity and existence and God as we are one with him in that. Now that's the beginning of all truth. Now that truth, you either live on that foundation or you live in a very different place that God created and God incarnated. Now John continues and he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. The word we translate fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it describes something far greater than just a group of friends getting together or a, a club doing some kind of nice thing. It's a spiritual unity. And the closest word, really, that we can have in English is the word communion, in which we have all things in common, in a unity, a communion, with God and with others. So think about that. The truth is that we are created by God in the beginning to have communion with God and with each other such that everything we do is living out the truth of God, his love, his way, and his life. So now the question that naturally arises in that is a question that each of us must ask ourselves. Do I live out the truth of God? Do I live out in every way of my life the truth of God? Do I put into my daily life with everything I do and say and make and produce and purchase and share, do I live out the truth that God in the beginning created us for communion with the Father, Son, and Spirit and communion with others in this unity of loving life. As we go to God, as we spend time with Him, if that is a question that is not clearly affirmed for you, now's the time and the moment to begin affirming that not only here in the safety of sanctuary, but every day in your life. Let's spend time with God.